Thank you, Margaret. Um, am I on? Can you hear me? Great. Um, if you have a Bible or you have it on your phone, I would encourage you to dig it out. Um, we're going to be looking at some of Romans, and Romans is not the easiest uh, uh, passage to look at. So if you can get out Romans 5, that would be absolutely great. Um, if anybody needs a Bible, there's some just at the back, and I'm sure Margaret would help. If you need one, just put up your hand, and Margaret, I'm sure, would just bring you one. Everybody seems to have one or have a phone. or Great. Well, today at the start of the Advent um, period, we've got the opportunity to begin thinking about the traditional themes of Advent, which are, just if you're not familiar, hope, uh, joy, peace, and love. Hope, joy, peace, and love. Great words, aren't they? And we're going to think about these over the coming weeks. Um, some churches have an Advent wreath. Um, it, it's four candles held in a circle uh, with a, ca- a centre uh, candle as well. And churches uh, traditionally would light one candle each week leading up to Christmas uh, and then light the centre one uh, on Christmas Eve or on Christmas morning. Um, uh, as Baptists, we tend not to do candly type things generally apart from our carols by candlelight but um, we don't do that but the principles are good to hold to and we're going to think about them the catholic church actually adopted this tradition um, during the middle ages and it was a way to prepare people's hearts and minds for christmas that's a good thing isn't it for each of us as well to be preparing our hearts and minds for Christmas. The word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus. I gave up Latin when I got 11%, okay, in my GCSE Moco level or something. So uh, I don't know, I've, I read this. Um, but it means arrival. Adventus means arrival. And we prepare during this time for the arrival of Christ. Um, and the wreath represents uh, the ring, the circle of eternity, everlasting life a circle that never ends. And the candle of hope is the first candle to be lit. Like the prophets in the Old Testament, we hope for this Messiah to come into the world to save people from their sin. And we anticipate the Savior's arrival. It's sometimes called the prophecy candle because it remembers the prophets, especially people like Isaiah, who foretold the birth of Christ. It represents the anticipation, the expectation of the coming Messiah. I don't think, if we're not not from a Jewish background, we we can imagine the, the longing and the anticipation as they waited. It recalls the hope God's people clung to through generations, um, anticipating that first coming of the Messiah. And the hope that we have, as Dave has alluded to, for watching for Christ's second coming. So hope is the central theme throughout Advent, and it's going to become apparent through these next four weeks. It's the foundation of our belief that Jesus is coming into our hearts and into the world. And this first week prepares us to be people of hope and believe that darkness won't prevail, but the light will shine. How we need that now. So we'll be focusing, folks, on these verses from Romans 5, verse 1 to 11, across the next few weeks, 
Can I encourage you, maybe at home, just a couple of times during the week or whatever, just to keep coming back to this? They're amazing verses, and I just love it. We would love it if the church just took these verses uh, again to heart. Um, so can I encourage you to, um, to read this, Romans 5, 1 to 11, just a number of times over the coming weeks, and we're starting looking at the, into this today. So perhaps we don't know, you know, perhaps you're not familiar with the Bible or you've forgotten or whatever. You don't understand really where this section that Margaret's just read for us sits within Scripture. Paul was writing, the Apostle Paul was writing to the church in Rome. And the time of this letter was about AD 57. So after Christ, about 57 years. And the church had probably been established there for quite a number of years. So if you remember in Acts 2 at Pentecost, there were people from Rome who were in Jerusalem at that time. And people would have come to faith, we imagine, during that time. The church would have been made up of Jews who were in Jerusalem who had come to believe over that time. And also newer converts, and it's likely that there might have been some tensions between those two groups. So two very different sort of backgrounds to people in the church community. Uh, The Jewish believers holding what they thought was important and they'd grown up with. And the non-Jewish believers who had come to know Jesus and the freedom that he offered. So you can imagine, can't you, that there was like, some little tensions sometimes between these two church communities. And Paul writes um, not only to alert them to the fact that he's hoping to go to Spain, which was his uh, missionary uh, outreach. He was saying the Spanish people have not received the gospel of Christ and I want to go to Spain. So he was writing to the Christians in Rome to say, I'm on my way to Spain and I'm going to come and I'm going to come through Rome. Uh, But he was also wanting to underline some of the foundational truths of Christianity for the benefit of the gathered church in Rome at that time. Okay, so that's the context of the letter to the Romans. And in the letter itself, Paul had been writing about Abraham. Abraham, the patriarch who was well known to the Jewish converts and seeking to point out that Abraham was, in fact, the father of all who believe. So to do that, Paul wasn't highlighting Abraham's adherence to the Jewish law, but to Abraham's faith, okay? If you've got your Bible, if you just look back into um, Romans 4, so we're just looking into the chapter before, um, um, I just want to point out a few verses from from Romans 4. Abraham had been told by God that he would have many descendants and that all nations would be blessed through him. Cast your mind back to Genesis 12, where God first told that to Abraham. Okay, but, um, so God had made this promise in 4 verse 13 of Romans. Um, It says that God's promise to Abraham to give the whole earth to him And his descendants was not based on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes through faith. And then if we skip to verse 18, again, it says, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. 
when there was no reason for hoping, Abraham kept hoping, okay? And he kept hoping because God had said to him that he would do this. That was the basis of Abraham's enduring hope, was because God said he would do it. Humanly looking at it, remember Abraham was like really old. Some of us know this story. He was really old. Sarah was way past childbearing age. Humanly looking at it, it didn't look likely. But having taken account of all the factors, Abraham concluded that the certainty of the divine promise of God outweighed every natural improbability. You get that? The promise of God, because God had made that promise, that outweighed all the human looking at it, didn't look like it was ever going to happen. And verse 20 of chapter 4 too says that Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. That's amazing, isn't it? What an amazing um, demonstration of faith that he had in God. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And verse 21, he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. He was fully persuaded God had the power to do what he said he was going to do. Now, that's an amazing demonstration of faith when you're actually facing human, uh, the human situation which looks impossible. So Paul writing here is saying that to the believers to look at this patriarch, this great man of faith. He wasn't just telling the Jews who believed, but verse 24 of, of, of Romans 4 said um, that everyone who believes will be counted as righteous if we believe in God, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. So kind of, guys, if you're not Jewish by background, relax. We get in on this if we believe and trust in God. So why am I going back? Can you, you might be thinking, come on, Fee, it's coming up to Christmas and it's Advent. Talk about hope. Why am I going back over this background this morning? Um, because um, the common entry point to being right with God for Jews and Gentiles in Rome and in Haywards Heath, folks, today, is that we believe in Jesus. That's the common entry point into faith. He was the one believing that Jesus was the one handed over to die for our sins. He was raised from the dead to make us right with God. Or in your version, verse 24 might read um, that it was for our justification it means the same. It means that we are made right with God. It's a phenomenal fact that by faith we can be made right with God. So Abram's faith rested on his trust in God. His hope against hope was rooted in the fact that God had the power to do what was promised. His trust, his belief was not in a vain hope that kind of somehow everything would work out but that God would do what he promised. Do you get, get the difference? It wasn't just a kind of flaky kind of hope. We come off the back of Paul reminding us of this great hero of faith. He is, a, in that sense, a father to all believers. He's not some, you know, big bushy beard, old great-grandfather, patriarch kind of figure in a faded old photograph. Oh, and it's not just because people carried his genes 
But actually, it says Abraham as a father of faith is a father to all of those who believe. It's an imitation of Abraham's faith and God's promises that makes us his children. So do you, do I believe this morning? Ask yourself that question. Do I really believe that God raised Jesus from the dead? That the, res- the truth of the resurrection, do I believe that? Then that makes us children of faith. That's what it says here in 4 verse 24. So what's all this got to do with Advent hope? Well, let's go into Romans 5 now, okay? You can see why I was suggesting you had your Bibles out, because I am referring to quite a few of these verses. Therefore, and that was the exact version that Margaret read to us as well, this chapter starts with a therefore. What does that mean? In the light of all of that, in the light of all that that's gone before, the fact that those who believe are made right with God, that we're now his children, we get in on a whole lot of blessings, okay? Therefore, in the light of all of that, we get in, if we have faith, on a whole lot of blessings. And we're going to look at them, as I've said, across the next weeks of Advent. So come along and find out all that they are. We are made right because of Jesus' death. We have peace with God. We're reconciled because of what Jesus has done. It's not a flaky peace deal here, which can be reneged on. It's based on the fact of Jesus' death and resurrection. And this leads to our hope. What do you think of when you hear the word hope? Hoping for a nice dinner today? I am, we're going to some people from church. Hoping the weather will be nice for your day out this week. Hoping England might win the World Cup. That's looking a little dodgy at the moment. You know, we we use this word lightly in reference to the things that we desire. Oh, I I do hope that, you know, I do hope. Um, Is this the same level of hope that Paul is referring to when he says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God? Look at that in verse 2 of chapter 5 there. Or as the New Living Translation says in verse 2, and I love this, we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. That's hope, isn't it? We confident and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. In the Greek, the word for this hope is elpis, and E-L-P-I-S. And it's both the act of hoping and also the content of hope. It's sort of joined together in this Greek word elpis, you see. It's different from a wish that has no certainty of fulfilment. The vagaries of the weather, the political landscape. There's absolutely no definite hope on any of those things, is there? This hope is directed towards God's promise, just as Abram based his faith and hope in God's promise. And it's certain, even though the fulfilment lies in the future. That's what prophecy was about. God spoke through the prophets recorded in the Old Testament, and we see already, if you're not very familiar with your Bible, that there's lots of prophecies in the Old Testament that have already been fulfilled. Jesus did come. Um, 
they took place in Jesus. He came from Nazareth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. I could take you through a lot of prophecies in the Old Testament which have already been fulfilled. Uh, it is true. The word of God is true. And yet we know that we don't see the complete fulfillment. We wait for the final glory to be revealed. It's a bit like being the square on the bit of paper that actually there's a lot more to come. We confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We know we, with a sure hope that God will make good on his promises. That's why Abraham is such an example of holding on to hope. It's based on who God is, the veracity, the goodness, and the power of God that gives us confidence. Some days ago, I was speaking to a consultant surgeon. Now, before I spoke, I knew his name of who I was seeing. So before I spoke to him, um, I wanted to check out his track record. So Google is a wonderful thing. Um, and actually, it was on a hospital thing. But I, I, I wanted to check out who was he? What experience did he have? And interestingly, what's more, he quoted to me how many times he had completed this type of surgery, okay? So, you know, what we're saying is, can I base my hope for this going well on a track record? Um, can he deliver? What was his reputation like? He then went on to tell me the risk factors of things that could go wrong. Do you know, have you been in that situation? You know, you might die, you might bleed to death. You know, all the things they have to tell you just in case it ever happened. Um, but so he told me the risk factors. Friends, when we look at God and when we look at what Jesus has done, it's all about him. It's not about our fledgling faith or the fact that we're kind of clinging on with our fingernails, kind of hoping against hope. We need to base our hope on God himself, the fact that he has done what he said he would do in bringing Jesus into the world, in saving us through Jesus, in raising Jesus from the dead. He is able. It's about him. It's not about our ability to wind ourselves up to have some hope. Do you see the difference here? We could kind of be screwing ourselves. Oh, I just kind of need to have a bit more hope. Friends, this morning, it's about us saying, look at God. we we sung, haven't we? Turn my, our, our eyes upon Jesus. Let's focus on him because this is about him. It's about his reputation. It's about his ability. It's about all that he can do that instills hope into our hearts. And by the way, there's no list of risk factors. Paul also writes here, he goes on in chapter 5, to talk about the problems and trials that we might have to endure but expresses that when we look to God, this builds our faith. Going back to Abraham, the answer wasn't immediate. Do you know he waited decades between that promise that God made and between God fulfilling that promise? He waited decades, but he endured. The promise of God was for this future time of descendants. It means that Abram's faith was future-looking. It was a trust in God laden with hope. Abram's faith did not flag, nor did 
distrusting God, deflect him from God's promise of all that was to come. Many of us are waiting for things in the here and now, aren't we? We're hoping the prospect of better economic times. Globally, as we've prayed this morning, we long for the end of war, the solution to climate crisis. As a church, again, as we've prayed, we are waiting and praying for God to bring us a new church leader here. We are waiting. But, you know, all of those things pale when we consider our hope of future glory. You know, we don't know when we'll get a new minister. We don't know what will happen. We don't know whether we'll have a conservative government. We don't know, you know, we don't know all those things. But what we can hang on to for sure, because it's based on the promise of God, that there will be this hope, sure hope of future glory. I've got um, the privilege of working with Christians. Some of you know I work with something called Christian Medical Fellowship. So you'd hope that some of them were Christians, wouldn't you? All of them are Christians that work with them. Um, and my um, coordinator that works with me, she, um, I, I was bemoaning some ailment the other day, you know. And she said to me, oh, doesn't it make you look forward to going to heaven? And I thought, yes, yes, that should do that, you know. And it kind of was quite a challenge to me because I thought, you're dead right. It really should. It should spur me on to look forward to this future glory that we are going to share in, friends. I was challenged by that. I get so, so caught up in the present, my little life, and forget what God has promised and what we hold on to with hope, sure and certain, is that one day... We don't know when. The glory of God will be revealed in all its fullness and we will share in that. Isn't that an amazing hope to hold on to over Advent? You know, it's not about, you know, what you're going to open under the Christmas tree. This is way better as we look forward to Christmas and we think about Advent hope. Friends, more than anyone else around us, we should be people who rejoice, have great joy in the sure hope that we have a great future God has planned for us. 1 Corinthians 2 says, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor mind ever been able to conceive of what God has planned for those who love him. Isn't that amazing? We just can't imagine how good this future is going to be. Do I, my question to myself, do I live amongst people, my neighbours, the people I work with, people I meet at the swimming pool or wherever, do they hear hope coming out of me? Or do I just join in the moan about the state of the showers or the weather or, you know, really, am I a person who is able to share that hope, share, instill hope in others? You know, this morning, let's be reminded that our hope is built on Christ alone. Because God has proved himself faithful to his promises, we base our hope on his power and the fact that he raised Jesus from the dead. He sent him to be born, he delivered Jesus to death, but he raised him to new life. And we look ahead to the day when he will bring all things to completion in Christ. His glory will be seen in all its fullness. And if we trust in him, friends, today, we will share in that glory too.
Yes, Jesus came into the world 2,000 years ago to bring light into darkness, the central candle of the Advent ring, but he will come again. Let's look forward in this time of Advent with that confident hope in our hearts. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we confess before you this morning that so often we do not live as people of hope. We don't fix our eyes on you. We don't plant our faith and trust in you as the God who fulfills your promises. We lose sight of the fact that you have promised that you will unveil your glory in the future once and for all and that we can share in that if we trust in you god what an amazing fact forgive us that so often we do waver in unbelief father we are knocked off course by life circumstances by things that press in on us we get caught up with the here and now and we lose that sense of hope in being your people trusting in your promises. God, would you make us people of hope, even as we think about that this week and as we think through Advent. Make us people of hope, Lord Jesus. As a church community, may we be those who hold out your hope to a hurting and a broken and a disillusioned world. God, make us those people, we pray, for the glory of your name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing our final song, which is my.